0: Good morning, everybody. I'm excited today to present to you our speaker this morning. Uh, his name is Will Archer. He's an evangelist of the Potomac Valley Church in, uh, out in D.C. Uh, Will and I met each other quite a few years ago, probably about over 10 years ago at a conference conference. And ever since then, we've kind of been conference buddies. We always grab time to talk, and, and we've worked on some hope projects together. Will is one of the uh, most amazing evangelists in our movement, just incredibly uh, creative, uh, cutting edge. He's, he's built up a huge following on the internet and podcasting. And, and really, in a lot of ways, I feel like Will is defining Christianity in the 21st century. I mean, he's figuring out how to get out there, how to do church. He's had a great impact in the D.C. area. He and I have, worked, have collaborated in the past. We're going to be collaborating a little bit in the future. So I'm hoping to get him out here live sometime in the future. But I'm also learning a lot from him and how he's doing church out there to get out into the community. And uh, we, we, we've been developing over the years a great partnership. So I'm excited about you guys being able to hear him, being able to hear his sermon this morning. So I give you Will Archer from the Potomac Valley Church.
1: I'm so grateful for this opportunity to be able to speak to all of you. What a privilege to be able to share God's word uh, with my brothers and sisters in so many different places. I want to say a special shout out to everyone in the LA church um, just for your your warm hospitality. And I'm so grateful uh, that Robert Carrillo asked me to be a part of this conversation with you. Uh, I'm excited to hear about your focus on your eyes being on Jesus. And um, as disciples of Jesus, we need to focus on Jesus and set our eyes on him more than anything else. I know over the past several weeks, you've been able to dig deep into the scriptures, and I'm grateful to share and be a part of this conversation. My name is Will Archer, and I serve as the evangelist with the Potomac Valley Church, uh, which is one of your sister congregations just 20 miles south of Washington, D.C., in the Northern Virginia suburbs. Uh, One of the great privileges in my life uh, is the opportunity that I've had to be married to my wife for uh, almost 21 years. Uh, This coming September, we'll be married for 21 years. Uh, We have a 17-year-old son and an 11-year-old daughter, and I've had the honor of being a disciple of Jesus for 27 years. I got baptized in the New York City Church back in 1993, um, and what an honor it is and has been to be able to preach the gospel for these past 27 years. In that time, I've had the privilege of being able to serve in the ministry in various different capacities from being an intern to leading a small uh, regional ministry to leading three different congregations in seven different North American cities. And uh, it's really been an honor to see our family of churches in many different forms, small and large, uh, really seek to be God's people Um, as we bring God's message uh, into the world. I'm just very, very grateful for that opportunity. Before we dive any deeper into anything else, I want us to start off by going to God in a word of prayer, and then we're going to dig into the scriptures and set our focus on the fact that vision matters, our eyes on Jesus. Let's go to God in a word of prayer. Our God and Father, thank you so much. I am so honored to be able to speak to brothers and sisters, some whom I may not see until we're all on the other side of glory. God, I thank you so much for the incredible hard work and generosity and kindness and tenacity uh, that our brothers and sisters in LA and other cities all around the world have extended to see the message of Jesus spread everywhere. God, please help us to have eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that truly do understand your word. And help us to have a deep and abiding conviction that we need to walk in this world like you to be your hands and feet at this time in human history. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your compassion. And we thank you, God, for giving us this opportunity, this rare opportunity to be alive right now. And God, I pray that our eyes can be opened to see the world and ourselves as we truly are and as it truly is. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, vision matters. Vision matters a lot. Your ability to be able to see is everything. To see who you are and to see the world as it is, is so critical. When Jesus walked among us in Matthew chapter 9, we see that he saw the world and his heart was moved with compassion. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35 it reads, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, these are the crowds that he had preached the good news to. These are the crowds that he had healed of their diseases and their sicknesses. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus saw the world, and Jesus sees the world as it is. The Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews 13, 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He sees things Now, as he saw them then, he has the capacity to heal every disease and sickness. And right now, globally, we are facing one of the greatest threats that we've ever faced with a global pandemic that is the coronavirus. It is a faceless disease. It's it's a virus that's spreading all over the world that shows no discrimination to where you come from, how much you have, what language you speak, People high and low have been infected and affected by this virus. To date, we know that 5 million people have been tested and tested positive for the coronavirus. Two million of those people that have contracted the coronavirus have recovered. And sadly, over um, 330,000 people have lost their lives. Almost 100,000 in the US alone. Those numbers are staggering and I'm incredibly grateful that God is giving us an opportunity to have this conversation. Many of you have lost family members and friends. Some of you have seen brothers and sisters in our fellowship that have passed away and I just want to extend the deepest condolences to those who have experienced and are experiencing loss. Others of us have faced loss in in other ways. Uh, my family just recently went through a major loss as my mom passed away at the end of January. Um, she'd been struggling for a number of years with a, a rare um, uh, respiratory illness. And, uh, and I'm grateful uh, for all the love and support that, we, that our family has received. Others of you have gone through other challenges and, and tragedies that you're working through in the world. But I want to remind you that as we look at this scripture, we're seeing a Jesus who has the capacity to heal every disease and sickness, who had just healed all their diseases and sicknesses, but it wasn't the diseases and sicknesses that he, he, he focused his eyes on. Though he was concerned and responded with concern, what his eyes were focused on was the condition of the people, the fact that internally and externally they were harassed and helpless. They seemed to be a leaderless, and they indeed were a leaderless group of people. That's the condition that we find ourselves in the world today, with sin taking root in so many lives and leaving us all around the world in a condition of being harassed and helpless. We can respond with compassion fatigue to the realities of the world. We've heard too much, it's too much to handle, and we can choose escapism and we can try to get away, or we can choose to look at the world and ourselves as Jesus would. And I pray that in this short conversation, that together we can make a decision to see the world as Jesus would, and as Jesus does, and as Jesus did. If you look at the world for what it is, and you look at yourself for what it is, I promise you that your heart will be broken. Your eyes will be filled with tears. There will be tears of sadness, but there will also be tears of joy because of the great hope. That we have in christ in this scripture in matthew 9 and verse 38 jesus says that we should pray for workers this is so powerful because what we see here is that jesus was not fixated on the growth of his group in fact i would argue that jesus divorced himself and divorces himself from simple growth for growth's sake adding numbers of people Instead, Jesus really focused on the health of his group, the formation of his disciples. Because when we focus on health, what we see is that we will have the capacity to respond to the needs there in the world. As a disciple of Jesus 12 years ago, my life radically changed as I saw an incredible example in Jakarta, Indonesia, of a congregation that focused on the formation of the leaders, the formation of workers of praying for people who could serve and meet needs, who could be disciples, who made disciples, but truly didn't simply make disciples for them to come to the place of baptism, but to bring them to maturity in faith. I think that is so critical. And at that time, I developed, uh, I began to develop a conviction that it is important for us to recognize that healthy bodies grow, but not all growth is healthy. We can experience dynamic increase in the numbers of people that are in our congregations, but the health and the formation of faith among those believers are, is critical because we need not just more you know, people that are filling the seats, but we need more workers who can respond to the needs in the world. That set me in a, on a path to really pursue health in my own personal walk with God, to fix my eyes on Jesus and to really focus on developing ministries and building and fostering an environment where health is a center point of what we do. The world as we see it is really going through real challenges. and We need to be moved with compassion and we need to pray to God for workers. Let's continue our journey through the Gospels as we look at four scriptures in the Gospels that give us a sense of how Jesus saw things. Matthew's account tells us that when Jesus saw the world, he was moved with compassion and said we should pray for workers. In Mark's account, in Mark chapter 2 and verse 22, Jesus tells us that we need to become new wineskins to receive the new wine that God is giving us. He points out to us that we have to be transformed. Our faith has to be renewed in dynamic ways so we can see the world with new eyes and with new faith. That reminds me of the words of Abraham Lincoln, as he says that our occasion is piled high with difficulty, and what we need to be able to do is rise to the occasion, that we need to see the world with new eyes, because we need new thinking to engage in the world as it is. I'm inspired by Abe Lincoln's conviction about really being transformed, being made new, and I know that that conviction was born from the original source of all conviction, which is Jesus, as we hear echoed to us in Mark chapter 2 and verse 22. In the book of Luke, Jesus tells us in Luke 7 and verse 28 that there was no one greater than John the Baptist, and yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. This is because of the active work of the Holy Spirit to transform the believer, So that that believer, us, as disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, we can be transformed to do even greater things and to be greater every single day because of the active work of the Holy Spirit moving in our lives. And now let's listen to our brother John as he speaks to the Johannine community in the last of the four Gospels in John chapter 14 and verse 12. And I encourage you to take time to dig into the scriptures I referenced before in Matthew 9, in Mark 2, and in Luke 7 because there's so much depth in those passages of scripture. But let's turn to John 14 and verse 12. Jesus says something that is truly remarkable, and I remember reading the scripture a little over a decade ago and it revolutionizing my faith and the way that I think about everything. And honestly, The way I saw myself, the way I see myself, and the way I see my service in the ministry. In John 14 and verse 12, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. What a revolutionary statement. This is Jesus at the pinnacle of his ministry Coming down to the home stretch as he's making his way to the cross, making his way to Jerusalem where he would sacrifice his life for all of humanity. And he says that with all the power of the universe at his disposal, the capacity to heal every disease and sickness, the ability to walk on water, the ability to take one lunch and transform it into lunch for 5,000 people. That Jesus looks at me, and he looks at you, and he says, we will do even greater things. Why would Jesus say that? Because that is God's heart. That's the heart of every parent. We don't live so that we would be great. We live so that our children, those who come after us, would do even greater things. That's what a good parent does. We always live to lift the next generation so that it can go further and higher, so that it can be stronger and more uh, impactful in the world. This is the first time in our global history, and without, without a doubt here in our American story, that this generation finds itself facing such immense challenges and the potential that this generation could very well be poorer and sicker than the generations that came before us. So we've got to make some choices. Where are we going to go? Also in our family of churches, we've taken a lot of time over the past 20 years to talk about the great things that we've seen and done and experienced for the 20 years prior. But now is the time for us to make some decisions about whether we're going to walk in the way of Jesus and see the world as Jesus did, see our place as being those who put our shoulders down so that others can get on our shoulders and go further and do more and do even greater things. This perspective, as I said, radically changed my heart. I recognize that my role as a leader is to be an intergenerational leader, one that paves the way for the next generation to do even greater things, but also not one who's committed to advancing the cause of one generation over the other, but one that seeks to bring all generations together for God's purpose. And what is that purpose? That purpose is to bring God's message into the world and to reconcile all people to Him. I am blown away by God's love and by His mercy. But I want to take a moment to tell you a little bit of our story. As I mentioned, I've been a disciple for 27 years. I did not grow up Christian. I I grew up Sunni Muslim. My dad converted to Islam when he was in college and uh, as a child I had the opportunity to go to Mecca and to Medina and to go on the Hajj. While I was there in Mecca, I was blown away by the thousands of pilgrims that were circumnavigating the, the Kaaba and that really made an indelible mark in my young mind. Seeing people circumnavigating places of worship. In so many ways, i got to be honest with you, in so many faith traditions, I see many people circumnavigating places of worship and in many cases missing the purpose of worship, which is really lifting up God, not just our own journey. That picture that I saw really helped me as I came almost six years ago to the Potomac Valley Church to serve this congregation. This is a congregation of amazing disciples. As I mentioned, we're just 20 miles south of Washington DC and about 60% of our congregation are either active or retired military. Our congregation, like many young congregations in our fellowship, was once a family group that became a region and then got launched off as a church. Our congregation particularly got launched off in, in in 2007 as we were once a a region of the Northern Virginia Church that then became the Potomac Valley Church. For the seven years that would follow though, though we started out with a head of steam, we went into some some really difficult waters. Our congregation, being so close to Washington DC and being very racially and politically diverse, went through a time of incredible struggle in 2008 when President Obama was elected. There was a lot of racial and political tension that we experienced in our congregation. Some of the source of that was unresolved issues with challenges that we'd had in our fellowship back, dating back to 19, the 1990s and the early 2000s. There was a lot of major hurts from the past and as a result there was a lack of vision and a lack of clear unity. I want to point out that all the ministers that served our congregation during those years served with courage and great compassion, and we had incredible ministers, but we still really struggled. As evidence of that, when we started out the congregation, we had 133 disciples, and seven years later, we'd only grown to 135. We had experienced high highs of people coming in only to walk out the doors. Many of them walked out as they move to other cities there's a lot of move-ins and move-outs in this area but still the congregation seven years later was back at its starting point almost just having added only two disciples in seven years we're at a low point but it was a great low point because when you're at the bottom it really puts you in a position to see things differently we saw our need for God Tasha and I were able to join the staff that summer of of, of 2014, and we spent the next two years listening, devoting ourselves to fasting and prayer, inviting other leaders to come in, and we got incredible help from the American Commonwealth region, the ACR region of churches, as leaders came in, like Ed Anton, and called us to repentance. We studied the scriptures deeply, and we focused on building deep convictions. From those two years, we developed a deep resolve that we are messed-up people, messed-up people that desperately need God. We saw the Scriptures and what it says, the Scriptures that I just referenced to you. We understood the context, and we have sought to continue to embrace and remember the context of Matthew 9, that we, the disciples, we are the harassed and helpless when we follow our own way and when we don't fix our eyes on Jesus and that God has called us to be workers. We recognize what it says in Mark chapter two, that we are the old that needs to be made new. Only Jesus can transform us and make us new. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus and have a vision that's focused on him. We recognize that we are the least, and we truly are the least of all the disciples. And we recognize that even though we are the least, through God's mighty power, we can become greater every single day, and that God Himself is a source of greatness, that we are simply the moon and He is the sun. Our job is to reflect His great glory in the world. And we recognize that Jesus calls us, as it says in John fourteen twelve, to see others as He would see them, to look at others as great, and to not seek our own greatness, as Our brother Paul tells us in Philippians that we should look not only to our own interests but to the interest of others, that we should embrace humility and we should seek to have Jesus' perspective in the world, a perspective of service to all people. We've come to embrace these things and we've seen some incredible miracles and I just want to share a few of them with you. Um, I want you to know that these miracles are the product of God's work, not the work of men, And no glory goes to anyone, all the glory goes to God. And I'm so grateful for what God has done. In just four, almost five short years, God has really transformed us in a great way. This group that was 135 disciples, five years later, we're at 235 disciples. We've seen over 100 disciples added to be workers with a growing community of people that are actively a part of our congregation, along with our kids, of almost 500 people that are actively a part of what we're doing now, which we're so blown away by what God's doing. Our group struggled for the first seven years to raise $40,000 a year for us to be able to give for missions work. In the past five years, we've raised almost a half a million dollars to be able to use for mission work. That is just mind-blowing to see the generosity of the disciples. In that time, in five years, we've seen over 50 interns that were trained, and just one month from now, next month in June, by faith we're going to be launching a new region, effectively going from one location to two locations as we seek to advance the gospel. We've engaged in the community like never before, and a congregation that once struggled with racial and political tension internally, we've extended our arms to all people, engaging with Republican politicians and Democratic politicians, bringing them together in our worship gatherings. We've had Republican and Democratic congressmen that have come to church with us, city council people, um, city council members, boards of supervisors, police chiefs, sheriffs, you name it. We have engaged with folks far and wide, high and low. We've invited and embraced the homeless community to be a part of our fellowship. And we've seen greater unity than ever before as we took our eyes off ourselves and put our eyes on Jesus and our eyes on what He calls us to be. Our posture is cruciformed. Our posture extends to those on the right and those on the left. Our posture extends to all people. That is because of Jesus. But I want to share another scripture that's truly transformed us as we've sought to have God's vision in the world and I pray it also transforms you. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, here's what it says. And I love this passage of scripture. It's just so amazing. It describes the glorious nature of God's plan in the world. God's incredible uh Plan to transform us from within. Explaining that we are not like Moses who had to put a veil over his face. So that when he was out of the presence of God, the, the Israelites wouldn't lose heart because the, the glory of God was diminishing. The shine was rubbing off. And some of y'all know all about shine. So I know some of y'all know you you grew up with your mom and daddy putting Vaseline on you, so you know all about that shine wearing off. It wasn't that shine, it was the glory of God shining. Um, uh, that's, that's, that's what we're talking about right there. And, um, but here's the thing. We're not like Moses that where his shine would diminish. Instead, it says that we have been granted even greater glory. But in verse 12 of second Corinthians chapter three, it says this, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are very bold. Brothers and sisters, friends, members in the community that are joining us, wherever you're joining us from, I want you to know that the message of the gospel is a message that calls us to boldly go into the world. We live in a world that is riddled with pain and destruction. Back in February, a young man was gunned down on a Sunday afternoon because of the destructiveness of sin in the hearts of two other men. All three of them were brothers in our common humanity. One is now dead and two are now incarcerated and, and have charged with crimes, and going through the judicial process. Many of us are incensed by the injustice of this. Many of you have witnessed injustice in the cities that you've lived in, or the city that you live in right now. Many of us have faced injustice, and evil that's been done to us by people far, but also by people close. You've seen pain and brokenness. I've seen pain and brokenness. In my own life, I've faced death, at least by my own count, at least 12 times in my life. I, I, I have seen some of the worst of humanity in the 20 plus years that I've served in the ministry. I've seen some of the best of humanity as well. The realities of our world can either cause you to recoil in bitterness and cynicism or lean in with faith and determination. I want to challenge us to take the latter choice. To choose to be like Jesus in the world, to see the world as it is, and to dare with eyes filled with tears, sometimes with tears of sadness and brokenness, sometimes with tears fighting back the anger and the pain that we feel within, other times with tears of joy and tears of hope, but at all times with no veil over our faces, with no glasses that cover or no shields, no blinders that take us away from seeing the world as it is. Nothing that restricts our view and nothing that restricts our reflection of Jesus. We need to have the courage of our convictions to step up in these unprecedented times. I am convicted, deeply convicted, that over 300 thousand people have died from the coronavirus. And I'll tell you why I'm convicted about that. I do not believe that we are the only Christians. I don't. I believe that anyone who believes, repents, and gets baptized for the forgiveness of their sins receives the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I believe that there are people of good faith and good will in many parts of the world and all over the world, including the cities where we serve. I'm not saying that we're the only ones, but I want to speak to the fellowship that I have called home and call home for the past 27 years. We are a fellowship of a little over 100,000 people. 300,000 people have died. Why are we still alive if we are going to keep this for ourselves? why? If we're going to keep the message of the gospel for ourselves, why are we still here? If we're only going to feast in our own fellowship while others are starving for relationships, starving for love, starving for support, starving for hope in the world, what use is that? I'm not saying this as some fanciful way to inspire you to go and share your faith so we can grow some more. I'm saying this with the conviction born out of Scripture of looking at the world as it is and recognizing that we must respond out of compassion. We must engage in the world as it is and be what God's called us to be. I pray in your home and I pray in your hometown that you can get embedded in your local community, that you know your mayor, that you know your city council people, that you get to know your boards of supervisors, that you know the county leaders and you know the city leaders, that you get to know the homeless community, and you get to know your neighbors so that we can be what God wants us to be. We are at a tipping point. We are at the 500-year transition point in Christianity. Christianity's always made a turn right here about 500 years. We're also right now at the 100-year flood in global convergence of all the things that are happening in the world there is no time like this time. There is no time like the present. I'm grateful, so grateful for the things that our fellowship has learned, the things that our congregation specifically has learned from our sister congregations in Indonesia. We've learned so much about building healthy community. We've learned so much about serving all people of being faith-based but not faith-biased, extending our arms to all people and collaborating broadly with everyone, loving the rich and loving the poor. I'm so grateful for the things that we've learned from the Hampton Roads Church and the things that we've learned as well uh, from so many others who really challenge us to be all that God wants us to be. We've learned the importance of repentance, the importance of, of, of sober view. But I'll tell you, one of the most dangerous things in the world is to know more than you're doing. A lot of us have our minds filled with scripture, and that's good. But I pray that our hearts can be filled with compassion. And when we are, our hearts are filled with compassion, yes, our eyes will be filled with tears, but we will see again. For those tears will wash away all the sleep and the slumber so many of us have found ourselves in and we will see the world anew. we will see the world as jesus intends us to i pray that god will move powerfully in your life and as you go into a new day wherever that day finds you that in the communities where you serve and where you live that we will bring the message of jesus like never before listen to jesus speaking to us across the ages listen to what the scriptures say in matthew 9:38 and pray for workers. Here in Potomac Valley, we pray every morning and every night at 938 praying for workers and I challenge you to do just that. Be the worker that God's calling you to be and pray for workers in your local community and in your neighborhood. Let's have the courage of our convictions to listen to Jesus as he speaks to us in Matthew in Mark chapter 2 and verse 22. Let's be the new wineskins so God can pour his new wine into us and use us at this time where new faith and new vision is needed like never before. Let's have the courage of our convictions to recognize that we've been entrusted with the Holy Spirit. And therefore, we are greater even in our worst day. When you missed your quiet time and you argued with your wife and you got issues with your mom and your daddy and you're struggling just to make it that day, on that day, you and I, were greater than John the Baptist. Let's have the courage of our convictions to walk in that confidence, knowing that we're called not because of who we are, but because of who God is. And let us remember what our Jesus tells us in John 14, 12, as he tells us that we are called to be greater every single day and to do even greater things. Remember how our brother Paul speaks to us in Corinthians, reminding us that we can be transformed because of the active work of the Holy Spirit, and that that transformation is what makes it possible for every believer, not just the awesome people, not just the sharp people, every believer to be greater every day in their specific context. I'm so grateful for this chance to speak to you. And I will tell you that we're just regular people here in Virginia trying to live out our faith. And I hope that the words that we're able to share with you and our story of how God's transformed our congregation and is transforming it even as we speak is a source of encouragement to you and a note of solidarity that we have with you. We're grateful that we get to contend together for the gospel so that people everywhere, all people, all people get to hear Jesus. And I pray that we can see the world as he sees it because vision really matters. Let's go to God in a word of prayer. Let's pray. God, I'm so grateful I get to pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray, God, that you would open the eyes of all of our hearts. God, help us to see the world as it is. Help us to have the the conviction and the clarity that we need to have, God. Put a fire deep within us, God, to see things as they are, And not as we want them to be, but as they are. So that we can see them transformed as you want them to be. God, I know that we're living in a time with so much tension, so much fear in the world. And it's in that context that you call us to bring the message of the gospel. I am sobered that we are those who have been left behind. Those who have been offered the chance to still be alive. There are so many courageous souls that have gone ahead of us. Brothers and sisters of incredible faith and capacity, incredible tenacity and and charisma that have gone ahead of us. But we're the ones who are here. And I pray, God, that as your disciples, we would recognize that we are the leaders that we seek, that we need to be those who step up, and that we are fighting, God, for the souls of this country, and of all countries, God. Every soul matters. Every life, every life has value in your sight. And so, God, I pray that we would have the courage to see the world as it is, to be transformed from within, to allow your word to sink deep into our hearts, to walk unafraid in addressing the real challenges of our day, and to address everything with a fear of God and with a deep compassion for your people. God, lead and direct us in all things. Open the eyes of our hearts and help us to see the world as you would. Dear Jesus, help us. Help us to fix our eyes on you. And we pray that as your disciples, when people look at us, they would see you. That we would be the moon because you're our son, and that we would reflect how you love, how you give, how you serve, how you reconcile, how you forgive, how you care, how you move, how you speak, and how you see things. God, we pray all these things with great confidence and
0: clarity. In Jesus' name, amen. May God bless you. Amen. Thank you so much, Will. Thank you for moving our hearts. And thank you everybody for making this a great worship time together. Hope you had a great time. Please join us again next week. Same time, same place. And uh, have a great D group or discussion group. Those of you who are meeting in groups after this session to uh, discuss what you got out of the message. Thank you for joining us today. We'll see you next week. God bless you. Thank you for joining us. I hope this has been educational and inspiring for you. If you'd like to know more, please join us by going to study.laicc.net and we'll be happy to contact you and help you in any way we can.